Welcome to the Mustang Owners Podcast. And now your host, Steve Hall. Welcome to another episode of the Mustang Owners Podcast. I'm Steve Hall, the Executive Director of the Mustang Owners Museum. And today uh, we have a guest that I've been really looking forward to chatting with. It's someone I got to know, uh, I guess, back in 2012, 2013. Steve Ling, who is the, at the time, was the director of marketing from Team, or I would say for Mustangs. Should I say Team Mustang or is it just Mustangs? Well, um, yeah, no, you can go ahead and, and say Team Mustang. I think that's great. I, I had the pleasure of actually marketing for all the cars and enthusiast events um, during that period, and uh, which, of course, led to Ford Performance and, and all of that. But uh you know, as you might guess, uh, Mustang was uh, quite a big chunk of all that. So I'm I'm glad to have you call it that way. Well, I know that again when we've talked about members that are involved with Mustang, they do like to use the term Team Mustang. Yes, I was I was actually introduced to that term more by uh, Art Hyde, to be quite honest with you. He he himself kind of claims to be the John Clore before there was a John Clore. <laughs> and uh, he's, very, you know what I mean. And uh, he was very passionate about Team Mustang because it is a team. And uh, like I said, as such, so that, uh, you know, there's a lot of pride when it comes to that uh, that particular vehicle from both from Ford's side, of course, and from the, you know, from the enthusiast side. And so I'm hoping we can chat a little bit because, of course, during the course of your time as the director of marketing, probably one of the biggest projects that I would I mean, I'm speaking off the cuff. So if I'm wrong, just go with me a little bit, but uh, it's probably one of the bigger projects that you were involved with was going to be the new sixth generation Mustang to be introduced in 2015 version. And so uh, I hope we can go through some of the processes that you as a director of marketing have to go through because there's a lot of vital parts to doing a new vehicle. And I hope our listeners will get a chance to kind of understand just how many pieces of the puzzle it takes to actually kind of create the complete the project. So I'm hoping we just chat a little bit about the 2015 and kind of listen to what, you know, what you had to do in your team and connecting to some of the other teams to make that happen. Steve, that would be my pleasure. And I, and I think the right place to start is, you know, we, we throw out this term marketing and what does it mean? And, you know, particularly in how we do it at Ford and, and specifically for Team Mustang was, you know, there's there's two parts. There's the consumer part, which I think a lot of people that's the part most people think of. It's the advertising, it's awareness, it's events, promotion, all of that. But the other piece, and and this is really the, um, you know, equally, if not more so fun, it's the product side is, you know, helping to define the vehicle, you know, the packaging, what are, you know, what, particularly for Mustang, what are going to be some of those future versions to keep it alive and, and, you know, exciting for everybody. And, and that's why in terms of how does team Mustang work, you know, I really appreciated you emphasizing team because it was a, a great core group of people um, from all the different disciplines, be it product planning, engineering, you know, my group, others, finance that that really made this thing work. And what was really wonderful was everybody had this sense of, you know, you're you're playing with an icon, you're playing with history. So We've got to make this thing work for the company, like all the, you know, all the business type things, you know, that, you know, so it, it it makes money. But also you've got to do right by the people who had made Mustang great, <laughs> you know, the the consumers, the the dealers, the the people that are part of the whole 
ecosystem, you know, the modifiers, all the people that have made Mustang great uh, over the years. And you have to respect that as well as kind of move it on so that it stays relevant. So that was, you know, that, that to me was the real challenge and, and truthfully the fun. And Mustang, I think, for you know, uh, is like you know, within Ford, you've got you know F one fifty and Mustang, but Mustang's got that that unique heritage of enthusiasts that you know was a base that you could build from, that that really made this you know made this special. The team that we had, you know, Dave Persak, who I think you've met many times, was the chief. He was so instrumental because Dave gets this. He's a true enthusiast. But he's also an engineer's engineer, and he could understand. Hey, how do you how do you bring a team together to do all this? So you know, when I start talking about like defining the product, that was a lot of fun here. So my group, you know, we had that responsibility to kind of be that voice of customer, that voice of dealer, the voice of the marketplace, help bring in some of the history of again, how do you define and make a sixth generation live up to the original as well as be what it needed to be to be successful, you know, in the marketplace. So, you know, although we had the lead on it and and all that meant, it was a full team effort to do that. So, you know, I think, as you know, we've spent a lot of time and that was part of the fun of having kind of the consumer upfront uh, current marketing. We spend a lot of time talking to people at different events, you know, the Barrett Jackson's, the, you know, the club events, the, uh, dealer product committee, which is a great group of uh, enthusiastic dealers that we have to help guide us. Talking to journalists, historians, um, industry influentials, new customers, vehicle modifiers. You know, talking to you know the likes of like a Jack Roush, you know Carol Shelby. All you know, reading through all the social media sites, the blogs, really bringing that all together and distilling that down for the team. And what's fun is you know you're working with a group of people that, in and of themselves have all this great history and knowledge of Mustang. So super knowledgeable, but at the same time, you know, can bring like that engineering perspective of what did we do before? How does that influence what we should do now and things like that? So I can't tell you how much fun it is to be able to do that and then work with people as you sit there and say, okay, so what does that mean to, what did the vehicle need to be? How big, how fast do we want it to go? Was it going to be a two plus two or something else? You know, what type of suspension, what, to, you know, you have to make all those sorts of decisions and you have to balance all the things you want it to be for, you know, what consumers want it to be versus, you know, like a, you know somebody who is, you know, 30 and buying their first car to that hardcore enthusiast that here's what they think it need to be. And, and that's, that, that to me was the, the funnest part of developing Mustang is kind of figuring out that formula together again with all the different disciplines. It's as I it's amazing to hear just how many different areas or departments, I mean, it's much less than the amount of people that uh, that have to come together to make this happen. I mean, it's it's just as I like I said earlier, as I got into learning more about the you know the development and engineering, just the amount of people that are involved with it. But I'm kind of curious. So when when coming up to decide that okay, we need to we need to refresh the uh, the fifth generation Mustang. 
kind of curious how who makes that decision or how does that come about to say okay it's now time for us to come up with a, a new model not a refreshment like they did in 2010 for the for the um, for the fifth generation Mustang well how does that come about to make a decision okay it's now it's time to get a new vehicle we, we need something totally start from let's just start with a blank blank slate or blank canvas as it were and how to, to do so but how how does that start how how does that come about yeah, well, there's something called the cycle plan, which is the kind of the the internal plan for what we're going to do with all products and really the, you know, going out for like the next, you know, decade. So you're always looking at, you know, you know, a platform has a lifespan, you know, what it's going to do in terms of uh, its capability to keep it competitive, to keep it, you know, be at that how fast does it go? Are there elements of performance to, you know, is it the right size? Does it is it going to hold up to uh, different uh, government requirements are going to go over time, all those sorts of things. All of those get factored into developing that plan. And you basically can say, we're going to come out with a new one and then we'll refresh it. And then, you know, at what point do we need to just replace it and, and go further? So you're always going through and looking at that every year, but there's that overall plan that helps you bring all those different considerations together. And what was coming up for this was, you know, it, it was about that right time, but equally with the 50th anniversary coming up, you know, we made the play to sit there and say, we absolutely have to do it to celebrate the birthday. And given what Mustang means to Ford and means to all the, the people help us get here, there wasn't really much debate on that once we put that together. And, and so that this one was relatively easy that we needed an all new vehicle um, at, you know, for the 2015 model year. So the of course it makes that makes perfect sense of course but uh, so knowing that there's going to be a new sixth generation model when does the, when does the team start to get involved when do they actually start to say okay we because obviously you can't develop a car in a year or maybe even two years so when when does the team say okay the the switch has been pulled to say we we're going to do this and we have a deadline. Uh, obviously, because of the 50th itself, that was in April of 2014. And if I remember correctly, of course, the car was introduced a little bit prior to that on, on ABC. So Ford was there with that uh, with a, with a, the Mustang that they rolled out of the, the hauler. And the world got to see it for the first time. The public world got to see it for the first time. But when do the, when do you when do all the pieces of the puzzle start kind of working together on this? Because the other reason I ask is the clay model we got. The person that we got, the person that we were working with at the design center, thought that the clay model that we got was actually was done in 2013. Now that might be a bit off. I'm not sure, uh, but obviously that was even two years prior to uh, the car being, uh, you know, well coming to, to to market. So when does everybody get engaged to start building that car? Yeah, well, there's there's a timeline, of course, and at that time it was you know four to five years always trying to speed it up. And I think you've seen, you know, some of the stuff from Ford and, you know, coming out like with the Ma the, the new Maverick, which they did a uh, did a, in a faster period. But we took a little bit more time with this one. And really, I came into the role in about 2009 and got started on it pretty quick because of, you know, I would say all the other considerations that you had to think about with with Mustang, particularly given the history and, and all of that. So you, you can put down that that five year period. Um, and I, we know one thing I wanted to mention, and I'll, I'll go off. But you know, when I talk about some of the extra things we wanted to do, you know, I'll give you an example. We, I ended up spending uh, 
that had talked to Dave Parasak and said, you know, I really want to bring in some of the perspective of some of the people that, you know, helped get us here within Ford. Some of the people on the original program, there was some some of those folks still around and some of the people that had been part of the iterations, like the 2005, Hao Tao Tang, he was a, you know, a, a, one of the great engineers at Ford at the time. He had been through that. I really want to talk to these people and, you know, what did they learn when they did their version? What would they have done differently? What did they, what were they most proud of? You know, you, you, you obviously you're going to talk to people like, you know, Carol Shelby and, and get his perspective on things. But I, I have to tell you, my favorite interview that we did was a, a gentleman by the name of Hal Sperlick. And and for some of the more, uh, uh, some of the historians that uh, enjoy your podcast, how, how did Motor Trend put it? That Hal might be the most influential auto executive you barely know. <laughs> Oh, and, that's correct. Absolutely correct. You know, I, I think you you know how, but I had an opportunity. I actually and I actually just cold called him and I told him what we were doing, and uh, in terms of coming out with the the new 2015, and and I ended up going over his house and we talked for a few hours. What a what a special individual! For for those who don't know him, he he is just a super smart, unassuming guy who really had the trust of Lee Iacocca. And and he, to me, was the architect who put together the whole Mustang concept. He was the, the one that, you know, and I think as, as most people know, it was built out of a lot of Falcon parts <laughs> uh-huh. uh, with great styling and all that. But they were single pointed in what they were trying to do because he was the one that said, hey, I can see that. You know, at the time, I think it was he was telling me that, you know, only two or three percent of the people had a second car. A lot of that was because they, you know, either didn't need or couldn't afford more. But what they really wanted was something that could fit four people, would be super sporty, be inexpensive, that, you know, could kind of be that, you know, people use that word lifestyle vehicle. But, you know, could be all of those sorts of things, but be practical all at the same time. And if you could do that this thing would be a smash hit. And he was the first to put that all together and basically come up with the brief that became Mustang. You know, by the way, just so you know, you know, it wasn't just a lucky thing. Came up with the the minivan for Chrysler because he ended up becoming a, a true confidant to Iacocca and, and followed him to Chrysler. He did a lot of other stuff in Ford of Europe and you know, I could go on and on. That could be a whole conversation. But, you know, it, it's people like that that have been part of Mustang's history that to me, were such an inspiration and and really a touch point to go back to say, hey, that's what they figured out made Mustang special at the time. What can we pull from that to make sure that we t- to that formula to the way he thought about it to make sure we're doing the same when we're thinking about what was it going to take to make this thing be you know a great vehicle in 2015. And uh, you know, again, I think you can see that when you have people like that that you can touch base with, they make your job easy and inspire you at the same time. No, absolutely. And it's, I have to tell you kind of a little quick story because at the 50th, uh, Jim Owens was here at Charlotte. And if I remember correctly, you were at Las Vegas. Right. And we had a gentleman by the name of Bob Freya who uh, wanted to be kind of the historian for the event. And so he had reached out to uh, both House Berlick and also to Gail Halderman to be kind of the keynote speakers at the event for the, that, uh, that uh, banquet dinner. And Gail accepted right away, absolutely, provided John Clure would chauffeur him around for a while. That's always kind of a given with Gail at the time, which was fine. But Hal Sperling said, why would I want to go to the desert to look at cars? 
That was his response. And so you're kind of like, uh-oh, this doesn't sound so good. It was actually Gail Halderman that had talked him into going to Vegas and doing the event with us. And so the thought was, because Hal was there, there may be a really, really good chance that Lee Iacocca might come to Las Vegas. This is kind of a down low thing, but we were under the impression 10 days before the event that Lee Iacocca might show up and we had to make sure we had a table for him at the banquet. And uh, he did not make it, unfortunately, but his granddaughter, if I remember correctly, came in his place. She was kind of a substitute. Sadly, I never saw a video of it. I don't know how that all that went off and what have you. But uh, Hal's Hal's first response was not really positive to come because he had not really done. He doesn't really do shows. He doesn't really get out and do these kinds of things. But uh, Gail kind of talked him into it. So he did show up. I don't know. I never got an idea how his reaction was or how he felt about being there. But I know the crowd there. And I had I had some people here in Charlotte when they found out that Hal Spurlock was going to be the guest speaker there were saying, like, why is he in why is he in Vegas? He should be here. You know, we have more people here. He's going to be, you know, a lot of people do know of him. In fact, he made it into our Hall of Fame uh, last year because of his his connection to the hobby. So fortunately, people are becoming more and more aware of his his connection and what he did, where they, they look at. Maybe the fact is that uh, Lee, you know, Lee Iacocca is, of course, the person that we all know we feel we feel responsible for the Mustang, but it was Hal Spurlock that made it happen because of the constraints that Ford had put onto. You know, well, if you're going to do this, this is your budget. Go ahead if you can do it in this budget. So um, he, he's very, very important to the hobby. I'm, I'm, I'm. It's amazing you got to talk to him because I know John Cloris said the same thing that he's just so intelligent and so logical with what, you know, you want a good car, here's what you need to have, and things of that nature. So uh, it's, it's, it's interesting that you brought up how. But uh, then let me go, let me keep going in a little bit on the 2015. Ford, Ford does respond to the enthusiasts. We know that's happened back when the Probe Mustang came out and uh, the negative response to that. How much value does Ford or how, or your team when they were doing the 2050, how much value do you put in from the responses from the enthusiasts? How important is that? Uh, because they do, you, I do seem to feel that the Ford does listen to, and they certainly do respect the opinions. But I'm curious, how much weight does that hold? A, a tremendous amount. And you know, if I didn't make that clear, shame on me. The you know, again, I we're always, and and it and it was nice because I didn't have to preach this. Everybody in the team was so respectful of the enthusiast and understanding that you know when you change something, you're touching their baby. You know, I've had guys where it's like, you know, if I change, you know, the, the the size of, you know, we change the size of this bolt, they'll notice and they'll ask us, why'd you do that? <laughs> you know, things like, and, and so you have to, you have to love that. Why? Because ultimately they're going to be the people who buy your car, who tell other people about it, who are going to be your base to, to make it commercially a success. So you respect it, but also because they understand you know, just as you do that, Hey, you're, you're playing with history here. And, you know, we, we've enjoyed the, the companies enjoyed great success for 50 years. And the plan is to make it go another 50. Right. So, um, I love that. I mean, I like that fact because it would allow me to, you know, when we were de- having a debate about something, you know, I, I knew that I could go to, you know, certain people I've met along the way that could give me the, the their, their opinion 
you know, and kind of keep it to themselves and not not spill the beans, you know, to the, to the general public, which is you know tremendous. Other teams don't have that that resource, and at the same time, be respectful to say, you know what, we need to make sure that when this thing, when this vehicle comes out, it's going to be loved by those who got us here. But at the same time, you got to make it work for the next generation. You got to make it work for other people so that party can continue, and they get that. And there's no reason those things have to be mutually exclusive. So that's what I like is that, you know, bringing those two things together and then, you know, again, not having to having a team that got that we didn't have to debate that stuff. So, you know, I'll give you an example on the, you know, when you're designing the vehicle we spend a lot of time with the design team to say, Hey, what are, what are some of the cues? Once you get the proportions right, that would give you the, performance capability and, and the, the space inside that, you know, people said, that, hey, I absolutely got to have this. Because especially with a vehicle like Mustang, you can, there's so many design cues over the years that you can overdo it and almost make it a caricature of itself. And you don't want to do that, right? So how do you bring those things together and at the same time, make sure that, hey, the aerodynamics are going to be right, that, you know, all the other things that you have to consider but you're respectful of, hey, what are some of the the, the things that, that that the enthusiasts most love? And not just because we did it before. Being able to consult and get their opinion and all that and make sure it lives up so that it was instantly recognizable as a Mustang. They could respect that we were going to do that and help us do that. With the Mustang or the 2015 Mustang being one of the, one of the, or the first Mustang that was going to be available globally. Obviously, then you also had another area of, of I don't use the word concern, but I'm sure an area of interest is that is, you know, while this car maybe balls out perfectly correct, uh, what the U.S. enthusiasts, Mustang enthusiasts would like, was there how much consideration or how much or the things had to be looked at, but considering that this car is now going to be marketed around the world because you had different types of buyers in different countries and different things that they like or they don't like and things of that nature. So was there an influence with that as far as being now an inter- international car? Yeah, Steve, great question. And and Mustang was able to give a, a really unique answer. So whereas a lot of vehicles, you know, they to do that, they try to be a global car. And, you know, what are all the different things around the world that I need it to be? I had the fortune, I worked, lived in Germany for five years and you know, previous to coming into this role. And I actually had gone to a couple of the Mustang clubs in Germany where I was located and just met some great people. And one of the things that I brought back with me is, you know, what they loved about Mustang is what everybody loves about the Mustang here at home. And what they didn't want was something that was, you know, like Europeanized, (laughs) so to speak. They wanted the same car that we had. So, you know, I wasn't the only one to, to bring this perspective in. And we, as we talked through, we said, you know what, it's going to be great for us is what we have to do is be true to Mustang. And if we do that vehicle, that vehicle is going to be exactly what people want, whether they live in Detroit, Miami, Australia, Germany, China, because they all want the same thing. And that ultimately made the problem actually easier, right? Because we didn't have to do it three different or 18 different ways. We just had to be true to Mustang. It was that formula that makes Mustang so successful here has made it successful at other places. One more quick story I'll add is 
I remember as we were talking to um, people all around the world, they're like, well, you know, we got to make sure that we have a, can't just have a V8. You got to have something more. And we're like, well, we will. And and, and that's a whole story. But the people who are going to want to buy this, many of them are going to want a V8, even though it's more expensive, even though, you know, the cost of gasoline, I said, because it's about the sound. It's about the power. That's fundamental to what makes Mustang Mustang. Oh no no no! And you know, as it turned out, and again, I, I don't I don't say that as in uh, you know being able to. Uh, I told you so. I just said that's a perspective that we're getting. That I'll give you an example that the the V8 was outselling the the 2.3 liter in Europe very quickly, because again, that's it goes back to that's what people wanted. They wanted a real Mustang. They could never get one. The guys in Australia, they could never get a real right-hand drive version from the factory. Now they're going to be able to. Guess what they wanted? They wanted the real V8. So it's, again, I think it just goes back to that the the formula for Mustang is universal. Obviously, the results show that it is. And it's funny you brought up that particular story because that was actually my next question was, rumor had had it that in Australia, the expectation of them going to the uh, the EcoBoost because of the price of gasoline the enthusiasts there said, no, 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 no. We want an American muscle car. We want the GT. And so uh, it was, it was, that's what I was going to ask you, if that was a true story or a rumor, as it were, because that's what we kind of heard is that the, the GT was certainly outselling the EcoBoost because it's American power. And at the same time, I, I don't know if you can copyright the sound of a car, but that is the GT has a sound that everybody wants to have. I mean, that's just, I mean, all, I think all of the uh, exhaust companies are trying to figure out how can they create that sound, but they don't, it just doesn't happen, but it's just something that people want to have when they start up that GT, they want to hear that sound. And it's funny you say that also because we're about, oh, I don't know, it's maybe 300 yards off of a, off of a main thoroughfare uh, in the Charlotte area. And I can actually hear Mustangs coming to the museum probably about a mile away. You just, just where we are, you can just kind of hear them and they get closer and closer because that distinct sound. We can be in the museum somewhere and we can hear them pull up. The other cars, we have no idea what they sound like. I mean, what I mean by that is any car pulls up, whatever. But when it comes to uh, a Mustang, a GT, we can hear it. It's and it's, it's just it's just like a, it's like a natural reflex almost. Oh, there's a Mustang. So it is, it is certainly something I figured that uh, would be the case for other other enthusiasts around the world, even though it is more expensive. It's something they want because they want that American car. You know, that's that's what it's about. They want to have that car type of thing. And so and let me just kind of, you know, again, I'm kind of, you took you took away one of my questions. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> so, no, no, no. Hey, yeah, at least I'm thinking on the right page, I think, is how I look at it. At least I'm thinking the right way here. Can you talk a little bit about, and this is not to have any insight, but uh, what, do you, what do you think of the future of the Mustang? I mean, you talk, we talked about, or you mentioned about being around for another 50 years, which is what we all want, you know, want to hear and hope to have. If I'm asking a question out of line, just say so. But uh, will there always be an, an internal engine, a combustion engine, I should say? What are your thoughts? Not, not asking for any insight, anything by any means, but I'm just kind of curious, where, what's the future of Mustang? Well, I think the, I think the future of Mustang is going to continue to be strong. I think you see it from the people at at Ford today, and and more importantly from consumers is, you know, the what I learned talking to all those people and over all those years is, 
you know, to me, the must, the definition of Mustang was you could boil it down to one word, which was freedom. It was, you know, that, that American sense of, you know, go anywhere, wind in your hair, you know, you, you've heard this before, Steve, but it, it is the, it is a feeling I used to love, you know, I can have a really bad day and, you know, where things did, you know, didn't go what you wanted at work. But I knew that I'd walk down the parking lot and I could start up my Mustang and hear the sound you just talked about and everything was good. <laughs> and and I don't say that just because it's a nice story. That was exactly the way it made me feel and, and, and driving it home. And, you know, you could be like a new person by the time you got home because of my Mustang. And I think it's those sorts of things that are enduring and the technology to get you there, you know, can evolve. I mean, it's been it's it's been fun for me to see that uh, you know there, there's not just one way to bring out that that feeling in the end. So, you know, let's face it. Um, you know, I and, and especially being one where I think sound is such an important component of Mustang, just like you were talking. We know it's going to evolve. Uh, it could be a different sound. I remember, you know, the work that has gone on to try to make you know the 2.3 liter. You know, not sound like a V8. I never want it to be fake. Mustang is about, you know, that authenticity, but give it a good sound, right? And it's really hard to do that <laughs> in a turbo four cylinder, but, you know, it can be done. It's things like that, that don't be afraid of putting in MagnaRide. It doesn't mean that you always have to be a solid beam. It, technology will move things along as long as it gives you that that output, that feeling, that performance, those, all the things that make a Mustang a Mustang. So, you know, no doubt that technology is going to keep moving on. And how long does the V8 stay around? I don't know. What I do know is it'll stay around as long as it can, because that's what some people want. Governments are going to force it out. Regulations are going to restrict it, things like that. Can you bring another technology that will still make Mustang fast and fun to drive? And give you that freedom and that you know all of that yes and that's what the team will you know always be focused on to do that but also keep it at the top of its game so it can take on anything and and that ultimately to me is the right definition to use as you put together the formula to make it relevant and and you know to what people want going forward i think you're starting to see some of that now and i think you'll just see and, and that's what will continue to keep mustang you know where it's at well, it's funny when you were saying the, the one word, I thought you were going to say lifestyle. I really did. I would have bet money you were going to say that Mustang is, it is a lifestyle, but it is freedom because of the, and I look at the two words kind of joined together because as you said, you could have a bad day. You hop in your car, either work going home or you're, you're home and you just hop in the car and go for a ride. Yeah. It's It's amazing how you can decompress because you become tuned to the car. This is one thing that I've, how I felt anyway, is that you become tuned to the car almost and you and the car become one and you're enjoying yourself all of a sudden. I mean, boom, you, you forgot about what the problem might've been or concerns you have or whatever it is, just to have that freedom to, to go out, drive the car, nothing better than a lonely two lane road in the, up in the woods somewhere. And just let it let it rip a little bit, not go 100 miles an hour, but just go out there and have some fun and enjoy the ride and come back. And you feel totally you, you almost almost like you've forgotten whatever pressure you or stress you had at that moment that led you to go on that ride. And so uh, that's that's one thing I think it's also just as important. And it's it's nice to take the car and show go to car shows, go to cruises, 
but just to have your own personal freedom a bit is just is just there's nothing like it. So I, I, I totally agree with that word freedom. I, I think it's a great a great word to use. Yeah. But one if, those, if I could if I could, Steve, one more thing I want sure, to add. The sure. other reason I feel confident that that Mustang will stay and continue to deliver like we just talked about was it's the people all the way up to Bill Ford, who I can tell you is the biggest Mustang enthusiast. Uh, it's not just a, a persona that public affairs creators, Bill absolutely loves the vehicle. He knows the importance to Ford. Jim Farley, who's now the CEO, boy, does he get it. You know, you've got all of these people from there all the way down to people who work on the team that really understand and hold this hold Mustang in this special spot. And that's why I just know that, you know, between its ability for what it means historically, what it means to the customers, what it means to the dealer, what it means to make, you know, to 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 make some money, things like that. Mustang has all the people, the formula uh, to let it be enduring, believe that it absolutely will continue to be. And again, that's why I think you see things continue to evolve and never let it get stale. You know, that's why we put together a product plan and brought in the GT350 and the Mach 1 and the Bullet and the GT500 and all those sorts of things, because that's how you keep Mustang special, different, better than other things. That's, that's you know, why it's, you know, it's it's moving on to with some of the new technology. So I, I tell you what, I, I'm so confident that people at Ford do and will continue to make Mustang a success is, uh, is, is there. I think a lot of enthusiasts are happy, extremely happy, that Ford is the caretaker of the Mustang because they feel Ford gets it. And that's kind of funny to say because it's kind of like a little bit of a horse in front of the cart. But they look at Ford and they know that because, like you said, the GT350, the GT500, California Specials, they really don't just sit on Mustang only. They sit on how to create something that's attractive to more Mustang enthusiasts, new product, new new technologies. And so I think a lot of people are extremely happy to be a Mustang, but also very happy to be a Ford person because they, they really respect what Ford has done. And, and I think I, I'd have to see in the last four or five years, there's just been such a, such a tidal wave, as it were, to say, my God, look at these cars. You know, there's just, these Mustangs are just, you know, they're just improving upon themselves. And it's because of Ford's passion. And so I think that's why I say they, they look at Ford and thank God that Ford is the caretaker because uh, they, they, these, these enthusiasts feel that they own the car. Yes. They're, just letting, they're just letting Ford play with the car. They own the car, so to speak. And so it's a very interesting dynamic with that. But there's a very obvious the word there is passion. It's a very strong passion. So but what I'd like to do before we wrap up, we always like to ask our guests a couple, couple of simple questions and that is what was your first mustang you know what my my first one was a 2009 <laughs> and i hate to say it because everybody's like hey i you know i had a 64 you know back when i got out of back in high school i didn't when uh i i had driven a 2005 and loved it and was looking at you know how could i get like a used Shelby GT like an 07 and that's really what I was I was trying to get at the time uh because I had uh, when I was over in Europe I couldn't make this work <laughs> money wise and, and and it wasn't the right car and then I had little kids and you know uh, but uh I finally got to the point and again I know a lot of people and I was one of them who had car seats in a in a Mustang and it works great by the way 
but I ended up being able to, to pull it off and, and, uh, and, and get one then. And then I've had, let's see, I've, I've owned about six. And of course, and that, that, you know, I, I get, I, I was getting cars, you know, every year from Ford. So I got to drive a lot. Uh, but as far as owning one, you know, that was the first one that I actually owned. Okay. Well, do you have one in your, in your garage or driveway now? No, I, I actually had a 2015 50th anniversary and uh, that was my pride and joy. It was number nine. I was thrilled to be able to get that, but I actually ended up selling it and really debated, I mean, for a long time. But what happened was I came across a guy who was a retired Toledo police officer and uh, we got to talking and he was obviously, he had a, he was going after me, but I got to know him and his boys. And this was a car that he always wanted. I ended up selling it to him because I could see it was going to go to the right kind of family. And uh, I still keep in contact with him. He's a great guy. He is keeping it in the pristine condition I gave it to him with. Uh, and it's going to be a son's car uh, when he's done. I ended up getting a, a part of that was I was also I got a Roush Mustang after that uh, and got to drive that for a while. And I, I moved on from that. And now I'm looking to to get another one now. One of the greatest lines I ever heard from Carol Shelby was, you know, what was his favorite one? And as I think everybody, most people know, it's he'd always say the next one. I kind of adopted that because I love getting into the next one that was trying to be what it was trying to be. So whether that's a GT500 or something else coming up, you're going to probably see one in my garage. Well, if you buy a new GT500, uh, you'll be able to come down to Charlotte and do the uh, one-day school on it. And you'll oh, have yeah. To, you'll have to come across the street and see us. So. Yeah, no. And, you know, so, again, I appreciate it. Uh, for, for those who like to collect, it's probably not the right answer. But I have to say that I've, uh, especially when I can give them to somebody, like I, I mentioned, uh, the guy in Toledo, that's really special for me because it uh and and what i love about the club and the hobby and all that is mustang people are the greatest people ever when you can make connections like that over your over a car and become lifelong friends who you would trust with your kids or you know your health or what have you that's what mustang enables and it's enabled it for me and that's why i'll probably continue to do what i do um where i can get the next one and then uh you know use that to to make another friend or two and uh, if, if that is how it pl continues to play out for me, I'll be one happy man. Well, perfectly said and, and uh, perfectly understandable, too, to be quite honest with you, because the passion is when you have a Mustang and if you do let your Mustang go, it just doesn't go to the next guy with the money in his hand. It's got to go to the right person. Yeah. And the, that's the caretaker feeling that these enthusiasts have is like, this is one of my kids. And if you're going to adopt my kid, you're going to have to take care of it. You know, I want to make sure that you're not just going to run it, run it into the ground, it becomes a piece of junk after a period of time. So there's a, there's even the passion after the sale. So what you're saying is it's common and understood and and respected. Well, well, uh, well, well put together as you, as you, as you uh, from what you've said, that's well, well said, because that's just the passion that they have. And obviously, Steve, there are so many more things we could talk about. And I'm sitting here listening to these stories and uh, your conversation, our conversation, other things. And so I'm hoping that down the road uh, in the future we'll do something again and talk on another subject because, of course, you were, you were in the middle of when it was really a very special time between the 50th and the 350 coming out and things of that nature and the, and the sixth generation itself, of course. 
really kind of a really special time for the Mustang enthusiasts. You and, and Mr. Owens, uh, mm-hmm. obviously, were, were certainly in the middle of all that and saw a lot of stuff behind the scenes and, and involved with, where we, with what we have now. And uh, well appreciated, very well appreciated. Yeah, well, I'm glad you mentioned Jim. He's one of my favorite people in this world and, and a true enthusiast. And I'm so glad that he's there to this day to continue making sure Mustang continues to be what Mustang needs to be. And uh, we should all be very happy about that. You know, I, I've gotten in, well, I've known Jim for quite for a while. And when he got the position, I was ecstatic for him because I thought, you know, well, I, again, I'm sitting on the outside looking in, but I thought well-deserved. Jim is always busy, always working, and he's always moving forward. I was so happy that he got the position because he is, if you want to talk about passion, folks, if they had to put a picture in the dictionary next to the word passion, it would be Jim Owens. From his work with Shelby and the work with Ford, he's he's an incredible asset. So um, I'm glad I can call him a friend, I think. But anyway, <laughs> you know, but anyway, but Steve, thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate it. And I'm hoping down the road we may, we would like to do this again because the information and just the conversation and, and the presentation, it was, it was spectacular. So well appreciated. So thank you. Well, it was my pleasure, and I'll look forward to it. Thanks again, Steve. We hope you've enjoyed listening to another episode of the Mustang Owners Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss any episodes. For more information on the museum, please go to mustangownersmuseum.com, and you'll find additional information on upcoming events.